The process of landing investment banking job offers can often feel like a black box, which leads to confusion and anxiety for most of the candidates going through it. Hey, my name is Sam Shaw, and I'm the founder of Wall Street Mastermind. I've personally coached numerous students on how to successfully break into top-tier investment banks, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, Centerview, Evercore, and PJT Partners, just to name a few. On this podcast, I'm going to help you demystify the investment banking recruiting process by sharing what the clients of Wall Street Mastermind have done to get results like these. Enjoy this episode. Hey guys, before we start today, if you like the content that you get here, I want you to go and subscribe down below by clicking the subscribe button to make sure that you get all of our future content on a weekly basis because I'm putting out uh, these content multiple times a week and I want to make sure that you don't miss them. Okay, now today I want to talk about uh, which is the best type of bank, the best type of investment bank that you should be going for. Okay, now uh, there's no right or wrong answer here for the most part. I mean, it depends on who you are as a person and what you prefer, but um, basically, if I were to really break down the different types of banks, I would say there's bulge bracket banks, there's elite boutique banks, there's middle market banks, and then there's regional boutiques. Okay, that's a very high level view of it. Of course, you can drill down into each of those and, to, and make it more granular. But um, before we dive into all that, I would just say, look, overall, um, if you want to do investment banking, you want to work on the biggest deals. You want to work on the most interesting deals. You want to work on the most complex deals. Um, so that typically means that the bigger or the better the bank is, uh, the, the the better the experience you're going to get, right? And also the caliber of the people that you're going to get to work with and learn from is going to be higher. The clients that you're going to be able to work with are going to be more interesting, right? And so um, this is why I always tell people, like, look, the sooner you can get your offer, typically the better the offer is going to be because um, if we look at the level of selectivity or how prestigious a bank is or uh, how big of the, are the transactions that they work on, I would say both brackets and elite boutiques are at the top. Those are like the tier one banks. And then I would say middle market banks are below that. Let's say that those are the tier two banks. And then there's kind of the regional boutique banks, which are like the t- I guess we could call them tier three, but in reality, if you get to the regional boutique level, it's more like probably anywhere from tier three to tier 10 because there's there's so many of those banks. There's like probably thousands of them, just even just in the US alone, right? Probably, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 investment banks at the regional boutique level. So there's a much wider variance, okay? So I just want to first get that out of the way. And like, if you don't know who some of these banks are, I mean, I can just pull this up for you. One list that, I like to go to is um, the kind of prestige ranking list from uh, the vault guide. Okay. Now the reason why I like this list is because look, you can go online and go in forums and people are going to debate all day, which bank is better and which, which banks are worse. But this, this is actually based on a survey from 3,300 banking professionals, right? They actually have people who are working in the industry fill this out, Right. Um, and they, and they work at, you know, 85 of the top investment banks. So my point is these are people that actually work in the industry and they actually know what's going on and it's a large sample size. So it's still somewhat subjective, but this is the best list that I've seen. And I, for the most part, agree with this ranking, right? So you'll see like, you know, Goldman Sachs is number one, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan. Then, so these are all bold bracket banks, right? 
Evercore and Centerview are probably the two considered to be the two most elite um, elite boutiques, right? Or two most prestigious elite boutiques. Lazard is also up there, another elite boutique. Molis is an elite boutique. Bank of America is a bullish bracket. Credit Suisse is a bullish bracket. PJT is an elite boutique. And then we go, that's the top 10, right? We go 11 and 20. Elite boutique, bullish bracket, elite boutique, elite boutique, bullish bracket, elite boutique, uh, although more so in Europe. Uh, Jeffries is, I guess, considered a middle market bank, but they're like one of the, probably the top middle market bank out there. So they sneak into the, uh, into the top 20. UBS, bullish bracket, Catalyst, Elite Boutique, only focus on technology. Houlihan Loki, another top middle market bank. So, like, you look at the top 20 banks. It's basically all the Elite Boutique and bulge bracket banks mixed in with maybe one or two middle market banks, right? Then you go down past the top 20. Then you have, like, 21 to, you know, uh, 50. I think there's 50 of these on this list. Yeah. So you go all the way down to 50. The rest of these are mostly, like, what I would consider to be the middle market banks, okay? And if you're not even on this list, then... Again, this is not 100% of the time, but if you're not on this list, chances are you're probably lower middle market or maybe even a regional boutique bank. Okay, so if you're not sure what is what, like this is a good list to reference. Now coming back to which type of bank is best for you though, again, like I already said, I think bulge bracket and elite boutiques are always gonna be the best. So if you can get into those, you should try to get into that. If not, you can maybe go for a middle market bank. And then if not, then you can, you, as a last resort, you go for the regional boutique. Now, between the bold bracket and the elite boutiques, though, that's a more interesting conversation, which is like, which one is better, right? Now, I'm going to be talking about this mostly from like a junior banker's perspective because I think most of our uh, viewers and listeners are uh, more junior bankers or, or candidates to become junior bankers. You're probably in college or going to business school or something like that where you recently graduated, right? So there are a few different factors that I would consider. So I wrote a post on this. Um, on Quora uh, a long time ago. And so I pulled it up again just to reference it. And you can kind of see it on screen here. Um, if you don't follow me on Quora, I welcome you to go and follow me on Quora too. You can look me up. It's just Sam-Shaw. Okay. Now, a couple things. First thing, prestige and career progression. I think that both Bullet Bracket and Elite Boutique Banks are very, very prestigious. Most of these firms accept probably 1% or less of their applicant pool. In fact, I would argue it might be even harder to get into elite boutique bank in our experience because um, their interviews just tend to be a lot harder. They're a lot more technical. Um, they are hiring fewer people because they're smaller in terms of headcount, so they can be more selective. Uh, and they, they tend to be um, a little more elitist, like in terms of the schools that they typically hire from, right? Like they, they don't stray away from the target schools as much. Not that you can't get into an elite boutique from a non-target. Like we've helped clients get in. Like we had a client get in from Santa Clara University to Evercore, for example, which again is number four on this list. Very, very hard to get into. Um, we helped a client from USC get into Centerview, which is probably even harder to get into because they only have 300 people on the entire firm. Okay, most of these firms have thousands, if not tens of thousands of employees. Centerview only has 300 people. Um, and, and so USC, you know, semi-target school, but I think he was like the only guy from USC who got in. But my point is, it's possible, but it's harder. I would say, if you're working on Wall Street, um, look, in the top 10 bank, outside of like Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, you'll see like the rest of the top 10, it's, it's made up of a lot of these elite boutiques, right? Like, so... Arguably, a lot of people actually view within the industry, at least they actually view some of these elite boutiques as being more prestigious than, say, some of these um, other bulge bracket banks, 
right? Now, outside of Wall Street, like if you're just talking to your mom or your dad or your family, friends or whatever, if, they, if they're not in finance, they're probably not going to have heard of these elite boutiques before, right? So that's, that's the trade-off, right? And also, like depending on what you want to do after banking, because a lot of you are probably only going to stay in banking for two or three years. If you plan on staying in finance and like you want to go to private equity or hedge funds or whatever, I would say those guys, they know who these elite boutiques are. If you're trying to go for uh, go for something outside of finance, or maybe you go work for a Fortune 500 company or whatever, like you're doing something else, um, the brand name might not be as good at an elite boutique. So that's something to consider, right? Compensation-wise, on average, I mean, both pay extremely well. I would say, you know, on average, a board bracket bank is going to probably pay a first-year analyst $125,000 or $130,000 right out of school, right? Elite boutiques, though, will tend to pay even more. So I've seen elite boutiques pay 150. Uh, sometimes even more. Like my client that's going to center view, uh, I believe what he told me was including his signing bonus for his first year, he's going to get about $200,000, which is insane. That's like what bold bracket uh, bankers make at the associate level, like post-MBA, right? And so compensation will typically be higher at an elite boutique, which is why a lot of people like going to elite boutiques because think about it, they're doing deals that are just as big as the bold bracket banks. They're generating just as much in terms of fees, but the bonus pool is allocated amongst a lot fewer headcount, right? And so people are going to get bigger bonuses, right? That, that, that's why that happens. Um, in terms of the deals that you get to work on, the learning experience, I think it's going to be pretty similar on par. The one difference I will uh, note is that, look, if you only want to work on M&A deals, then I would say Elite Boutiques are probably better for that because most of the Elite Boutiques are M&A shops, right? And, and a lot of them also do restructuring. But they don't do like capital markets deals. They're not working on like IPOs and follow-ons and and debt offerings and things like that. Now, if you want a more well-rounded ex experience and and you want to work on both, then I would say you probably want to go to a bold bracket bank, right? Maybe work in an industry coverage group or something like that. But a lot of you, like if you want to go into the buy side, you want to go um, work in private equity or hedge funds or something like that, they do value like the M&A skill set more and they don't care as much about the ECM or DCM type of uh, deal experience. And so maybe you don't care. Maybe you just want, want to only work on M&A deals and it's more technical. Um, then, then, then that might be fine, right? So that's something to think about on the deal experience side. Um, in terms of who you're working for, um, I think at the elite boutique, uh, at the elite boutique side of things, um, this is even more important is like, who are the senior bankers at the front? Because a lot of these elite boutique, um, the way they came about is some of the most senior bankers at some of these bold bracket banks after the 2008 financial crisis, all these regulations got um, implemented by the government. And there's all these restrictions on compensation and defer comp and things get, getting clawed back. And um, these senior folks were just like the rainmakers. They were like, dude, screw this. I'm just going to go and I'm going to start my own bank. I'm going to make a lot more money. I have all the relationships anyway. I'm bringing all the deals. Why, why am I not getting a bigger cut of this? Right. So, but then like how well your firm is going to do is going to depend heavily on the quality of the senior team at your firm, right? Like if your senior bankers are really, really good, you're going to work on some amazing deals and you're going to work on, you're going to have great deal flow. If your senior bankers aren't as impressive, then you're probably not going to be working on uh, as big of a deal and your platform is not as big as say like a Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley or JP Morgan, right? And they have other competitive advantages that these elite boutiques might not have. Like some of these bigger banks, they have a balance sheet, right? They can provide financing uh, as a package deal with their M&A advisory services, right? And sometimes like, hey, I'll give you the, the, the capital that you need to buy this company and I'll, I'll give you a very low interest rate on that, right? So those are things that you gotta weigh. 
Um, but who you're gonna be working for is really, really ex uh, expensive. Uh, sorry, not expensive. Important. <laughs> it's really critical, and so you have to. Um, that's that's obviously on a case by case basis, right? And bankers, senior bankers, especially, move around all the time. So uh, I'm not gonna uh, be overly prescriptive here. You just have to kind of meet the firm and really evaluate that for yourself. And then the last thing, this is probably um, I would say personally the lowest on my list, at least for junior investment making positions, which is like the culture, okay? I'm not saying culture is not important. If you go to a firm with good culture, you're gonna have a much better time than if you went to a firm with crappy culture, right? Like, so for example, firms like Evercore and Centerview, like they're known to have very unique and very awesome cultures, and that's a great thing, right? And Goldman Sachs obviously has its own very unique culture, like that's a great thing. Um, but the reason why I typically uh, rank culture uh, the lowest on this list is because what I found is, first of all, banking culture, it's going to be slightly different from firm to firm for the most part, but it's not going to be that different. You know, you're working with very type A personalities. Everybody's very hard charging. Everybody works super hard. It's a demanding job. You're going to be held to very high expectations. You need to be super responsive. People don't want to hear excuses. Like those things are pretty much universal across the board. Sure. Are people nicer somewhere than others? Like, yeah, maybe. But like those are things that are going to be hard for you to evaluate from the outside looking in anyway. Like culture is one of those things where people are always going to tell you they have great culture. But until you actually work there and really experience it for yourself, you're just not going to know. Right. And also, secondly, like two different people can feel very differently about the culture of the same group because maybe person A gets along really well with the people in that group and person B has a totally different personality and they just don't get along with anyone in that group. And they're going to tell you that that group has a crappy culture. But does it really? Right, and so it's kind of subjective. And then, like the last thing is, um, like you, 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 in terms of culture, it's not even at a, a, a firm wide thing. Like, yes, there's firm wide culture, but I was just tell you, like, culture is more. It, it happens at the group level. Meaning, like, if you work in a technology investment uh, banking group at Morgan Stanley, like I did, versus if you worked in, say, the consumer investment banking group or the financial institutions group or the sponsors group, like every group actually has a different culture because culture comes from the top down, comes from the senior bankers that are in your group, right? It comes from your group head down to the other MDs and whatever. And like, it's how they prefer to work. What is their working style? What is their management style? That's going to determine the culture. So it, to me, it's a little bit silly to even say, oh, uh, the culture at Goldman Sachs is great. Well, which group in Goldman Sachs? It's like each group operates almost like in its own silo and it's different from the other groups, right? So again, that's why I typically rank culture last and not because it's not important, but also like, look, if you end up in a, in a group with a crappy culture, um, you're most likely only going to be there for two or three years anyway, at least the vast majority of you. So it's not the end of the world. Then you just, you know, bite the bullet, suck it up, um, learn a ton while you're there, uh, work on a, a lot of really awesome deals, um, and then you get out of there, right? So to me, the more important thing, the most important thing um, when it comes to your banking experience is not the culture. Um, I would say compensation obviously matters, but that's also not the most important thing. The most important thing to me um, is that first piece. It's it's prestige, it's career progression, and, and tied in with that is your, your deal experience because that's what's going to set you up for the long run. That's what's going to really impact your career trajectory, right? Um, it's not going to be, oh, am I making an extra 10000 or $20,000 this year? Yeah, that's nice, but it's not going to change your life, right? What will change your life is like, if you have much greater exit opportunities coming out of banking, 
because you worked out of Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, as opposed to say, I don't know, middle market bank, right, or or or, or something else like that, right? Like if you want to go to private equity or a hedge fund, for example, like the size of the fund that you you're eligible for or that will be interested in recruiting you is directly correlated to how good of a group you worked at um, while you were in banking, right? So that to me is probably my personal, personally my number one criteria. But with that said, again, Bulge Bracket, Elite Boutique, at the end of the day, my advice to you is this, apply to both. They're both amazing options, right? You can't, it, with how low the probability is of, of getting one of these offers, you just, you can't be picky, overly picky about it. Apply to everything, see what you get. Um, sometimes our clients get multiple offers from both Bulge Bracket and Elite Boutique banks, and then they have that choice, and then you cross that bridge when you get there, right? Um, but it, Sometimes you might not even have that choice. You might only get one offer, in which case it's going to be decided for you. So don't stress out uh, too much about this um, and don't put the car before the horse. Just make sure you're doing the preparation that you need to be doing. Um, but these are the things I would be thinking about if and when I ever got to that point. Okay, so hopefully this helps you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. Interested in discovering how you can get personalized one-on-one coaching from Wall Street Mastermind to help you beat out the massive amount of competition out there? head on over to www.wallstreetmastermind.com slash apply. And the street is abbreviated to ST, so it's really wallstmastermind.com slash apply. And our team looks forward to speaking with you.